It's 12.09. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Eric Bilstadt. Yes. Today is going to be an expensive day for me. I can just tell already. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why is that? Because, all right, that's my lovely wife who is outside hey, looking Fran's in. Here. She's here. Fran's here with her friend Colleen, and some of the grandkids are coming out okay. this afternoon, and some other friends and all. But already, she and her friend Colleen have been walking around the fairgrounds, texting me pictures of things, saying, should I buy this? Would you like that? Do you need this? To which my response has been, no thanks, no thanks. But you never know. You never know when they might find that thing. But why Why do I think it is going to be an expensive afternoon? I think it should be a surprise in there. She should go into the expo and just bring something to you without you even knowing. I think that's the thing. <laughs> that's, that's the idea. Okay. I like. Well, I, I, I appreciate that thought. You or know. <laughs> she should buy the painting that that person painted of Steve Scafidi. You could get that. That's at the expo center, too. So. Oh, really? Okay, well, all right. Yeah. Well, you, 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 you can give her some suggestions, <laughs> keeping in mind that you know, keeping in mind that you you have to work with me tomorrow and Thursday <laughs> and Friday and moving forward. Yeah, as as, as we were saying, it's actually a beautiful day out here at the Wisconsin State Fair. This is the the midday of the fair. Um, five days in, five days after this, the weather is absolutely perfect. It's really really nice out here. I am going to be with you t- from noon until three o'clock. We've got a lot of stuff on today's program. I, I do. I want to start off though with this one, this one story. I I, I know I I have used this analogy before. I happen to believe that there is a heaven and that there is another place. I, I just I do. Now I don't know what it's like. I don't know if there's a waiting room or something like that. But I do always have these images in my mind that you know when. When they're making that call as to whether you're going upstairs or whether you're going downstairs, there's there's St. Peter at the pearly gates. And when you stand in front of the pearly gates, there's kind of a book of your life. And they, they look at the good stuff you did, and they look at the bad stuff you did, and then they kind of decide, you know, where where you're going to end up. I, that's that's always been my belief. So I was thinking about that when we come up with this particular story. Um, as everybody knows, I mean, for the last two weeks, this community has been, you know, grieving over the loss of Milwaukee police officer Michael Mikulski. He was, of course, the officer who was executing, uh, trying to arrest a fleeing fugitive. The fugitive essentially executed him, and you had the big uh, the events of last week where you had the funeral and all. So what's happening is there's a number of different groups, organizations, individuals who are trying to help out the family, things like that. And one of those, one of those people is. Dave Sobelman. Dave Sobelman is, of course, the owner of Sobelman's restaurants. They've got a few of them all throughout the area. The the original one, and probably the biggest one, is the one on Canal Street, kind of right by the Pottawatomie Casino before you get to the Pottawatomie Casino. So here, here's the story. On, on Saturday, what they did is they decided to hold... A, a fundraiser, uh, a, a charity event for the slain Milwaukee police officer. And what they did is they said, okay, here's the deal. For every dollar, uh, for every, we'll give it, we'll take a dollar for every burger sold and we will donate this to the officer's family. It's just a nice, a nice gesture. So a number of people turned out and to give you an idea, they raised 1300 bucks. I mean, they raised 1300 bucks, and this is through the generosity of Dave Sobelman, and this is through the generosity of people who came there. Everybody that ordered a burger, a buck went into this kitty. So what happens is, apparently, um, on Saturday night, um, the money 
is sitting in a locked office. So they've had the fundraiser, they've got the money in a locked office, and around 7.30 at night, guy walks into the restaurant, and they've got this on video. Now, it's, it's busy, it's crowded, lots of people there. Guy walks into the restaurant, pries open a door to a locked office, and steals steals the cash that had been raised for this deceased officer's family. He steals the cash. Now, this is all caught on video. A suspect, six-foot-tall black man, weighing about 200 pounds, last seen wearing a red T-shirt, a white sh- white shorts, black shoes with soles, and a brown baseball cap. Um, what Dave Sobelman is saying is that, you know, they think that, you know, clearly this was targeted. He entered the business through an open door, pried open a locked door. Apparently, he had, you know, clearly been casing this place out, um, but here you you have uh, again you know thefts that were going on as a result of this being targeted. Now again, I I don't know if there's a heaven in another place. I don't know, but all I know is I don't want to be standing in front of Saint Peter, and they say, okay, let's kind of look through your life. What were you doing? Oh, okay, like last. Uh, Saturday night. Remember Saturday night, August 3rd or August 4th or whatever? That was you that went in and stole that money that was being raised for, I don't know, the deceased officer. I just don't want to be standing in front of St. Peter having to justify that. All right, there's something else I don't want to be having to stand in front of St. Peter and justify. It is a horrific, horrific murder. And, And not only is the murder just horrific, but the facts and circumstances surrounded it are nothing short of appalling. I want to share that story with you, and then we're going to open up the phone lines and discuss in just a moment. Stick around. It's 1215. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the 2018 Wisconsin State Fair. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. All right, let me share a story. There's a criminal complaint that's out, but this is how it's described, and and pretty accurately so in the Journal Sentinel today. Mentally ill man was shot to death after taking stranger's hat at a Milwaukee gas station. It all started when a mentally ill man took a woman's hat at a Milwaukee gas station. A short time later, Jonathan Blackman was found lying on the ground with fatal gunshot wounds. Six family members have been charged with various counts relating to Blackman's death on July 29th in the 3000 block of West Lisbon Avenue, according to the criminal complaint. Now, follow me on this one. According to the criminal complaint, security camera video from a gas station at 3033 West Lisbon Avenue shows Blackman grabbing the hat of a woman paying for her purchases and forcefully grabbing the back of a hooded sweatshirt worn by another woman. Police identified the woman with the hat as Norva Armstrong, 55. 55, and her friend in the sweatshirt as Lori Whitcow, 51. Blackman left the gas station, caused a disturbance near the gas pumps before walking out of view of the camera. Armstrong and Whitcow left the gas station, and Armstrong called her brother-in-law to tell this brother-in-law's name, Leonard Monroe, to tell him that a relative's house had been shot up. Police later determined there was no shooting at the house. Monroe, his wife Angela, who is Norva Armstrong's 52-year-old sister, armed themselves and got into a car. Also in the car was Angela Armstrong's son, Charles Mims, 22, and her niece, Angelica Armstrong, 27. 
they drove about 10 blocks to North 30th Street and West Lisbon Avenue, where they were flagged down by Norva, who pointed to Blackman walking away. Witnesses told police that Norva Armstrong asked Monroe for a gun. So I guess the family that kills together stays together. Asked Monroe for a gun and used a 9mm handgun to shoot Blackman in the abdomen and back. Mims also pointed a gun at Blackman and fired, but the gun jammed. Ballistics confirmed the rounds fired from the 9mm handgun killed Blackman. When the group returned to Monroe's house, and Angela Armstrong's son, Michael, took the guns and ammunition to dispose of them and conceal the crime. Now they're charged with all sorts of things. The victim in this case, is Blackman, was diagnosed as bipolar and suffer, suffering from clinical depression and severe manic disorder. Um, he was remembered for his work as an artist with the Milwaukee Public Theater. So that's all well and good. But here's the bottom line. You have this guy who's in this gas station. He tugs on somebody's hat. He pulls on somebody's hood. And the next thing you know, you have these six members of a family who've turned around and executed him. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is going on? In the city of Milwaukee, and I throw this out as a general sort of thing. You know, we, we talk a lot about you know, the different causes of crime and those type of things. These are not kids that are committing this crime. You've got some people who are in their twenties, but you have others who are in their forties and fifties who are out there. In this case, essentially executing a man because he pulled off somebody's cap and tugged on their hood. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We talk a lot about safety in communities. Here's the question. Is it safe anymore in the city of Milwaukee when you have, this is the reaction to, I mean, I, I think relatively benign behavior. Should he have grabbed the woman's cap? Of course not, but the guy had mental problems. So he grabs the cap, and next thing you know, the first reaction of this family is, we're going to take our guns, and we're going to go, and we're going to shoot him on the streets. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on. Gru is back at the station lining up the calls. Back with more of those calls in just a moment it's 12:22 we are broadcasting from the Wisconsin State Fair this is Jeff Wagner 12:24 Jeff Wagner WTMJ so very glad to have you with us let's talk to Dan on the east side Dan you're first on WTMJ good afternoon good afternoon Jeff two things first of all it's just whether you you believe in guns or not this kind of a story just makes you want to go out and get a gun to protect yourself when you walk in the streets of the city and it's so sad that we're at that point that's my first point my second thing that i told your screener that is really confusing to me jeff is i believe that in our recent history we had a mentally ill man shot and killed by a police officer and the streets were filled with protesters we just had a mentally ill man shot and killed and I don't see anybody on the street, so I'm I'm really confused. Well, it, it is it is interesting where the outrage lies, and I mean I understand that there's concerns about you know police overreaction to stuff, but it is interesting because when, when you look at the the number of homicides and the level of crime, where is the outrage from the community? And in this case, it, it was a family operation. You know, we're not talking about some angry disaffected 23-year-old, we're talking about you know people in their 50s whose response to, hey, he pulled my cap off at the gas station was, bring out the guns and let's kill somebody. 
It was like a vigilante family, a family of vigilantes almost. You know, it's really scary. Well, no, it it, it is, and and you raise the underlying question. You raise the correct question of, you know, is it safe? Are we at a point now where, you know, people need to arm themselves? I mean, think back on, you know, we've had all these issues about people who, remember there was all this concern when you had the contractors who had the audacity to bring firearms to their job site, and then you had all the aldermen who were getting outraged about that. Well, what does it say about the city of Milwaukee? Well, I guess my question is, what does it say about the city of Milwaukee, Dan, when you've got some mentally ill guy who is essentially murdered by a family for the audacious crime of pulling somebody's hat off it says there's this huge double standard is what it says to me that's what it says to me jeff it does thanks for the call i appreciate it 414-799-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line and this is unfortunately the type of thing that, that goes on on a regular sort of basis but it doesn't get the attention it perhaps deserves because well in large part um, it, it's just, it, it, it's such a routine occurrence. Now, over the weekend in Chicago, what did you have? 73 shootings and a number of fatalities. All right, Milwaukee is not Chicago. That is the good thing. But at the same time, you know, you're looking at a very, very violent community that is getting worse. And I guess the question becomes, how do you end up dealing with this? And you just end up giving lip service to the problem. I think it's great that you end up having these different press conferences and people end up saying, oh, well, we're appalled at the violence and such like that, but the truth of the matter is it's not going to get better until we end up dealing with the underlying problem, which is too many dangerous people out on the street with the impulse control of fruit flies who decide that any time there is any sort of slight, they're going to act out. And by the way, this is not a racial issue. This In this particular case, I believe the victim was African American. The, the shooters were all African American as well. So this isn't one of those situations. There's not a racial component to it. It's just people with no regard for life that are behaving in a fashion that candidly makes you understand why people decide they want to avoid the city of Milwaukee, number one. And number two, if they go into the city of Milwaukee, they feel that, well, maybe it's necessary for them to arm themselves or something along the life, those lines. I mean, these numbers out of Chicago are just absolutely staggering. Over last weekend, 72 people shot 72 people shot 13 people killed over the summer weekend it's just absolutely completely totally out of control and unfortunately that level of violence that you see in chicago is spread and has spread to milwaukee and now it's not confined to the city of milwaukee it is spreading to surrounding areas as well and candidly i understand people talk about wanting to turn this into a bigger city or something like that and we want to attract all these conventions until you get to the underlying problem of trying to deal with the out of control crime situation it's just not going to happen all right, coming up on today's program, and again, we're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. We've got protesters who have decided it's a good thing to go out and try to swarm over Trump supporters. Here, that's the way they're going to make their point. We've got Democrats calling for higher road taxes, and President Trump decides to take on LeBron James. 
It's 1234. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Join our crew in supporting the crew on Saturday, August 25th at the Brewers Community Foundation's Hitting for the Cycle event. Together, we'll conquer a beginner's bike ride that starts and ends at Miller Park. That's the Royal Wee. Followed by a tailgate party and a matchup between the Brewers and the Pirates. Hitting for the Cycle benefits Dream Bikes, the Urban Ecology Center, and UW-Milwaukee's Life Impact Program. For more information or to sign up, text the word CARE, C-A-R-E-S, to 414-799-1620. WTMJ CARES is presented by First Bank Financial Center. We appreciate that. All right. There's the, the, the question is, in today's day and age, does anything go in the world of politics? Is bad behavior justified? And you're starting to see that it's the summer of the resistance. The idea is that people hate Donald Trump. Donald Trump is so terrible that we need to not only stand up to try to deal with Donald Trump, but we need to try to embarrass, confront, do whatever we can to anybody who might support one of those Trump policies. So you've seen this before. I mean, this is you know, crazy Maxine Waters out of California talking about, oh, we, we just have to have the resistance. We, we resistance. We need to confront people. We need to get in people's faces. And so you, you've heard these stories, um, whether it's Sandra, uh, Sarah Sandra Hucker, Huckabee thrown out of a, a restaurant because, well, you know, she's the press secretary. Whether it's confronting Mitch, McDon- um, Mitch McConnell when he's sitting in a restaurant. All those different situations, it's like, okay, we're going to confront him. Well, the late example of that is it happened yesterday outside a Philadelphia restaurant. Um, Turning Point USA founder Charlie Kirk and his communications director Candace Owens, and these are prominent conservatives, they're attempting to eat breakfast at at a cafe, one of these outdoor cafes in Philadelphia. All of a sudden, a group of these resistance people gathers outside. They see them, and then they try to confront them. All right, the the video footage sees these protesters shouting, blowing whistles in their faces, chanting blank white supremacy, except they're not saying blank white supremacy. So it's this idea that they're trying to, you know, scream at them and confront them. The police ends up end up getting involved and this group turns into a mob and you have again this mob of angry leftists who are confronting these two conservatives and that the situation is that the police are almost unable to do anything about it now one of the commentators says if an angry conservative mob formed around two young liberals one white guy one black woman eating breakfast and hurled horrific insults threw objects and assaulted them the left would call it a hate crime and every major media outlet would be demanding condemnation and you know what they're right but because it was conservatives people end up looking the other way our number 414-799-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line is is this behavior justified because i understand that's the argument you get well don't you understand president trump is just so appalling president trump he's the one that hurls these insults he's the one that's dumbed down this discussion so we are justified in doing anything we want to do as far as confronting people who we think might be conservatives as far as confronting trump supporters as far as confronting republicans we see them we can go out there and we can get in their faces 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line is this behavior justified as a result of the hatred of donald trump 
Or is this the type of bad behavior, which I guess just lowers, number one, political discourse, and number two, ends up being counterproductive? Counterproductive because, well, candidly, we saw what happened in Wisconsin in 2011, where you had the reaction to Act 10. You had, I think, people of goodwill who might have not necessarily supported Scott Walker and all the initiatives, but when they saw the reaction, when they saw the crazy people who started pouring into the state when they saw Senate Democrats flee the state in an effort to try to delay the legislation. I think they looked at that and they said, this is not a group that we want to be a part of. And I believe that this strategy is going to be exactly the same. This idea that we can confront people, we can get in their faces, we can attack them, we can do whatever they want. And I think ultimately it ends up backfiring. I also think this is a time where people of goodwill have to step up and they have to be willing to say, enough is enough. And there's no justification for this type of thing. And when people start to do this, these flash mobs, these attacks, what needs to happen is the same thing that would happen when you have it on the other side. Police show up. They need to start making arrests. And the fact that you don't like this political candidate or you don't like that political candidate is simply not a justification for the bad behavior. It's 1240. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 1242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. The Brewers have the same number of wins against the NL West as they do the NL Central, but have a losing record in the Central Division. Why the big drop? Greg Matzik is live from the Wisconsin State Fair, and he'll dive into the numbers this evening. Be sure to tune in at 6.07. All right, the primary election is one week from today and you will have a number of choices again we we can't emphasize enough that wisconsin's primary election is what is known as an open primary you do not have to register as either a democrat or a republican but you can only vote in one primary so for example if you live in milwaukee county and you want to vote in the democratic primary for milwaukee county sheriff the winner of which will become the sheriff since there's really no Republican on the ballot. You can do that, but you can't then turn around and vote in the Republican primary for U.S. Senate between Kevin Nicholson and Leah Vukmir. You can only do one or the other, and that's the choice that you end up having to make. So the primary is a week from today. Perhaps the most interesting statewide race is the fact that you have, what, eight or nine, I lose count, Democrats still running for governor. And in an eight- or nine-way primary, the truth of the matter is, I don't know, 25% of the vote could be the plurality that's all you need to end up winning the race. So there's a number of Democrats that are running. Ultimately, somebody will emerge, and they will end up challenging Governor Walker. But one of the things that's going on now is the Democrats are trying to differentiate themselves. They're trying to figure out how do you run against Scott Walker when the economy is really good, when people are employed. And so they're kind of testing different sort of issues. One of the things that they are testing is the idea of the roads. We're going to blame Scott Walker because the roads around here aren't good. And one of the questions then becomes, okay, fine, if, if if you want, you don't like the roads, all right, how are you going to fund additional road repairs and road construction? And Almost all, if not all, of the Democrats running for governor are running on a platform of increasing the gas tax. Right now, the gasoline tax, the Wisconsin share of the gasoline tax is 32.9 cents 
per gallon. And it's been frozen at that rate for a number of years. So the argument that is being made is we need more money for the roads, so let's increase the gas tax. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a winning strategy? Do you support increasing Wisconsin's gasoline tax? And I don't know what you do. Do you bump it a nickel? Do you bump it a dime? Do you dump it, bump it 20%, 20 cents? Would you support increasing the gas tax, understanding that that would increase the amount of money that would theoretically be available to fix roads or build new roads? So far, Governor Walker has been very, very clear that, that increasing the gasoline tax is a non-starter. They've been looking at other things, perhaps toll roads or things like that. But would you support a candidate and do you support raising the gasoline tax from where it presently is right now, which is about 33 cents a gallon? 414-799-1620. That is a position, raising taxes, that a number of the people who want to run for Scott against Scott Walker, that's the position that they are carving out. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My take on this, while Gru is lining up the calls back at the station, I just... I just don't see this as a winning strategy. I understand that the roads need work. I I get it. But the roads always need work. I think the whole question is, before you start talking about tax increases, you have to do everything you possibly can to make sure that you are spending the money you have in an efficient fashion. And I don't think that we are close to that point. I think if you want to look at areas, you just look at the whole road building industry here. You look at roads that are built, and then three years later, they end up getting torn up. I think there is still a lot of waste that goes into the whole road building road building program and before you start talking about tax increases i think what you have to do is you have to say all right have we made all the cuts we can all right 4147991620 do you support an increase in the gasoline tax um it has not been increased for a number of years also the number of the democratic candidates are saying not only do they support an increase in the gas tax but they would support yearly increases in the gasoline tax to account for inflation. So you wouldn't even have to vote on it. It would automatically increase. Okay, let's start with Julie in Hartford. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, and I'm going to connect to my car. Julie, go ahead. I am in favor of raising the gas tax. I am a conservative. I have emailed many of the state legislatures. Um, I only heard back from two of them. Are you there? Why? Well, tell me why. Well, yeah, I'm here. Tell me why you support raising the gas tax. Because, well, one, let me tell you why I'm not in favor of toll roads, which I know some of the Republicans are in favor of, and that it costs millions to do it. There's a waiting period. Once you have toll roads, you lose federal money on those roads. Yeah, you have, if you have toll roads, and you, and you can't put them right by the, some people would say, well, let's just put them by the state line. You, you yeah, can't you do can't that. Right. Do I, that. So, you know, when people say tolls are an easy answer, they're not an easy answer. And the one thing I really disagree with with Scott Walker is the gas tax is not just a state tax. You are taxing people from other states who are using our gasoline and our roads. For me, it's more of a user fee than it is a state tax. And I would well, rather I, but... have something that gets Illinois... Other states who come here paying something 
towards our roads. Well, okay, well, thanks for the call, Julie. Of course, they, they are paying for our roads because they, they buy the gasoline as well. The truth of the matter is the larger user tax is going to be, you know, put on the people who are from the state of Wisconsin because they're going to be the ones that are buying the gas. Look, I understand that you want to have roads, and I understand that you want to have good roads, but at the same time, you have to figure out how you're going to end up paying for these things. And I think before we start talking about increasing taxes and putting burdens on average citizens, what you have to do is you have to explore a number of other alternatives, and those alternatives, I think, essentially involve making sure that you really need to increase the taxes. And that's not something that people are talking about. It's really interesting to me. If you see these billboards around that there are these the Scott Holes thing, well, that's 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 essentially being underwritten largely by this union group, the operating engineers who are supporting Malin Mitchell, who's one of the candidates in the primary. Now, you want to talk about biting the hand that feeds you, because the reality is, if you want to look at a governor that's been about as pro-growth and pro-business and pro-new construction, you're not going to find somebody more than Scott Walker. But this union has decided, well, we want to have you know larger taxes, and, and we're afraid that he's like rolling back on the whole road improvement, so we're going to turn our back on him well all right that that's all well and good but the idea of going back to when the gas tax increased automatically because the truth of the matter is you you raise the taxes the roads aren't going to get dramatically better i mean the roads aren't going to get dramatically better till we get a hand on handle on all the waste and all the problems that are going on and the truth of the matter is I don't think you send people to Madison to raise the taxes. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But this is, of course, one of the dividing areas in the race for governor. I think whoever runs against Scott Walker is going to be running on a platform of increasing taxes, including increasing the gas tax. 414-799-1620, let's talk to, let's see, Rob in Appleton. Rob, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you? Good. What do you think? Um, so you have another conservative. I'm another conservative that agrees with the gas tax, and 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 you say cut the waste. I agree, cut the waste first. But um, we need these roads are horrible in in this state, and I travel all over northeastern Wisconsin, and uh, the roads are horrible. We need to do something. And we need to do something soon. And cutting the waste. Well, what would you do? Is, I mean, so tell me, tell me what. Tell me what you would do. You want to like massive repaving projects or, or what? Well, I'll tell you something. Well, I'm seriously. not an expert civil engineer, but let me tell you something. Yeah. We got to do something about these roads because they are absolutely horrible and they're getting worse. And you you talk about cutting waste. I agree. If we build a road, we shouldn't be rebuilding it in three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Europeans build roads and they last for right. forty years. So we have to do more. And but. But uh, increase, and I'm not going to vote for somebody. I'm not going to vote for a Democrat because he believes in the gas tax. But I think Governor Walker is wrong in not uh, not considering increasing the gas tax. I think toll roads is crazy. Um, if I we, agree with if, uh, toll roads. Yeah, but but we we do need to increase the gas tax. We need to we need to put some money into the infrastructure of our roads because they are horrible. 
and getting worse. Well, thanks for the call, Rob. I guess I, I mean, I keep hearing this, that the roads are horrible. I mean, I, I drive in other states too. The roads aren't, the roads are bad in, in general. And I, I think here's my big problem. The idea that if you increase the gas tax, that that means that all of a sudden, all right, we, let's jack up the gas tax, 10 cents, gas tax, 10 cents a gallon. Let's jack up the gas tax a quarter a gallon, whatever it's going to be. That all of a sudden, magically, the roads around the state of Wisconsin are going to be, I don't know, like plush greens at a golf course. See, I don't think that's what's going to happen. And that's why, for example, you have some of these unions that are behind the Scott Holes thing. They want to suck money out of the taxpayers, and they figure this is the way to do it. So you say, all right, let's raise the taxes, let's generate some more money, and you think that that's going to necessarily automatically make stuff better? No, I, I just I, I think this idea that if you throw money at a particular problem, that that's going to make the roads better. Now, what it might do, what it might do, is it might allow you to do some construction that's otherwise been passed over. For example, I do think that we should be expanding um, the freeway. We should be expanding I-94 West, you know, as it runs from the Marquette Interchange to the zoo. I'm all in favor of that. And that's one of the projects that we had to put aside to at least delay for a while because we don't have enough money. But this idea that all of a sudden you raise the tax and every time you buy a a gallon of gas, you end up paying a dime or 25 cents more or whatever it's going to be, that that's going to mysteriously translate to the roads in your neighborhood being better, I have to tell you. I mean, be careful. Make sure you duck and roll your shoulders so you don't hurt yourself when you fall off that turnip truck. But that's the message that is being sent in an effort to try to justify a tax increase, and it just doesn't work. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, uh, I've just got a different perspective on this. You know, we're, uh, the state's always giving money to the, uh, industries coming here. What about the industries, uh, that want to have access to their, uh, employees to come to their jobs? Uh, what about if they want to, uh, contribute something for the infrastructure to get them there? Well, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, you're talking about like a Foxconn, you know, if, you know should Foxconn yeah, be contributing Foxconn, some if Foxconn, we have to expand like, the... Like, like get, have them contribute something to get uh, people to get to their to their workplace. If they want workers, they got to have them get a... Well, I think it's fair. I mean, thanks for calling back. I mean, I think it's fair to say that one way or the other, if you have to put in infrastructure, for example, for the roadways, it's fair to say, okay, maybe some of the companies that are going to benefit the most should be asked to contribute a little bit in one fashion or another. But also keep in mind, when we're talking about the state gas tax in general, when you're driving down Silver Spring road at Solar Spring Drive and, and you hit the giant pothole that ends up, you know, taking out your car, your that that gas tax increase really isn't going to pay to fix that. I mean when you're talking about the gas tax, what you're really talking about in general is new highway construction, expanding the roadways, and, and again dealing with the freeways. But as far as the everyday travel, well you're going to have to look to the community as well. Again, I just think you got to be really careful when you're starting to talk about tax increases. Well, 55, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
It's 108. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Eric Bilstadt, don't you think we have a particularly attractive crowd Always. on the show today? Yes. Absolutely. Wonderful. You know, it's there is just there's no question. I, I, and I I've been saying this. This is the 20th year I've been broadcasting from the State Fair. There's no question that the people that turn out between noon and three, by far and away, <laughs> the most attractive crowds that come out of the State Fair. Uh, so okay, if you happen to be out at the fair. <laughs> If you happen to be out at the fair, be sure to stop off and say hi. I'm here till 3 o'clock today and then uh, tomorrow and Friday. There's an early baseball game on Thursday, so I'll, I'll be back at the studio. But always, just always a, a lot of fun. You enjoy this. Is, are you oh, going to be out at the fair? Yeah, we'll be out here again on Thursday. Actually, Scott Warris and I will be out here because uh, Steve will be out. So. Okay. Oh, he's off. All right. See, that explains it. People haven't been listening. I, I shamed him into going down the giant slide. He, he had never been down the giant slide before. And, you know, I said, well, you got to do it. And so he's, he's going to do yeah. it Wednesday. He's going to go to And then he's yeah. taking off Thursday and Friday as a result of how, how stressful that's going to be. Yes, he's going to recover. I yes. got it. Okay. No, see, now, I, I, they were doing that promo where they asked me things that I like at the State Fair. And I, I said I'd like to ride the bumper cars. And you, you expressed your disbelief that I really like to ride the bumper yeah, right. cars. I called you out on that. I wasn't, I, I don't believe that you actually go on the bumper I do go on, honest to goodness, I do. No, no. I'm, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to do it today because um, my wife is here with some friends mm-hmm. and a couple of her grandkids are coming out today and I don't know if they're going to go to the midway before or after I get off the air, but they go to the midway and I, I won't I won't go on the the Ferris wheel. I won't go on the the stuff, the, the heavy rides. But I'll go on the bumper cars. Yeah, you'll ram the kids. I, yes, <laughs> yes, I, yes. I will ram the kids. You're exactly right. I, right. I see. No, so that's and that that's legit. I, I there's a lot of stuff I won't do. Like I'm not going to do the bungee jumping thing ah, that we're looking at and stuff like that. No, 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 not going to do that. But if you if you see me riding down to the bumper cars, I might very well be doing that. So I don't will worry. take a picture. All right, sounds good. Um, all right, let's get started. Four one four seven. Seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's the deal. President Trump over the weekend decides that he's going to take on LeBron James. LeBron James is, of course, maybe the greatest basketball player ever. Some people might think, you know, with Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan might be better. I don't know. But LeBron James is just incredible. LeBron James has led various teams to world championships. He's just moved from Cleveland to Los Angeles. So LeBron James, he, he's doing an interview with Don Lemon, who is a very, very liberal anti-Trump anchor on CNN. And it doesn't matter. So they're doing this interview and there, there's no love lost between President Trump and, and Don Lemon. And they're doing the interview and LeBron James is talking about this school for at-risk children that he's helping open in his hometown, and he's talking about how he's got a partnership between his philanthropic foundation and the city's public schools. So, I mean, he's talking about how he's, you know, trying to unite the community and all. And as a part of the overall conversation, you know, what he says is that he says that he believes that President Trump is using sports to divide the country. All right, so he says that. I mean, it's not like he says President Trump is a crook. It's not like he said, I think this is just terrible. But he does offer you know, his own version of some political commentary. And I'm sure coming from somebody like LeBron James, it has a degree of, of sting to it. Well, all right, so President Trump then decides he's going to take to Twitter. And what he says is he sends out a tweet saying, LeBron James was just interviewed by the dumbest man on television, Don Lemon. He made LeBron look smart, which isn't easy to do. 
I Like Mike. And that is a reference to, uh, again, Michael Jordan. All right, so as soon as he does that, it starts off, this sets off this firestorm that is out there involving people and interests and things like that. And generally, President Trump's getting a lot of heat for taking on LeBron James in this fashion. And I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, was President Trump wise to include LeBron James in one of his tweets. Now, I understand that President Trump does not like to be criticized, and we've all seen how he fights back and he responds. And Trump supporters, I think, a lot of times say, that's right, you know, we're, we're not going to, you don't have to take it. We want to see you push back. It's one thing to push back against a Maxine Waters. It's another thing to push back against a Nancy Pelosi. It's another thing to push back against an Elizabeth Warren. But here you have the President of the United States that is deciding to Escalate. I mean, maybe you could say LeBron James was picking the fight with him when he made his remarks. But this is the President of the United States who has now decided to escalate the conflict in this regard. All right, does President Trump win by picking this particular battle? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tell you what, let me give a moment for Gru to line up the calls. We'll be back to discuss in just a moment. It's 114. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Sources say President Donald Trump is itching to meet personally with special counsel Robert Mueller. Okay. CBS chief White House correspondent uh, joins John McCure with the latest 350 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Be sure to check that out. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. President Trump decides to single out LeBron James in a, a tweet. And the exact nature of the tweet is LeBron James was just interviewed by the dumbest man on television, Don Lemon, who is one of the anti-Trump anchors on CNN. He made LeBron look smart, which isn't easy to do. I like Mike, which is a reference to Michael Jordan. I swear, I, I just, I think, and I've said this before, the president would be so much better off if he would just resist the urge to take to Twitter Every time he ends up getting a wild hair up a certain part of his anatomy, because to me, this is a situation where you get yourself into a battle that you can't win. Just let it go. All right, here's a note. I'm not excusing President Trump, but LeBron James for the last two years has been very outspoken and critical of Trump since he's been elected. Okay, well, there's a lot of people that have been critical of Trump since he's been elected. I guess my point would be, you know, you won. You, you just won. Let it go. There's no problem with letting it go. Who cares what LeBron James thinks? Who cares what Elizabeth Warren thinks? Who cares with somebody who's not in office, who didn't win? Who cares what they think? Just let it go, as opposed to throwing fuel on a particular fire, because there's some battles that you pick, and maybe you can win. All right, Maybe the whole NFL kneeling on the anthem issue, maybe that's something that you come out on top with, because, candidly, I believe the vast amount of, majority of Americans you know, do believe that if the players are going to be on the sidelines, it's not unreasonable to ask them to stand for the national anthem or stay in the tunnel if they don't want to be on the field. Maybe by picking that battle, it is a battle that you can win. But trying to pick a battle against somebody 
of the status of LeBron James and of the accomplishments that he has had in the world and in the context of he's doing an interview where he's talking about, well, he's helping you know, at-risk kids in his hometown of Akron, Ohio. I mean, that's that's a fight that it just doesn't seem to me that you can win. All right, here's a note. President Trump can just not cannot help himself. We should all have expected that this was going to happen. Well, I don't think it's any sort of surprise that this is precisely what's going to happen. Here's another note this from Mike and Racine. President Trump, be a president. So thin-skinned. Quit tweeting. If you can't resist the urge, at least stay in your lane. Well, that's right. If you want to take on the political stuff, but I was actually, I, I, was outside, I was staying outside of Akron, Ohio, when this whole thing you know broke over the weekend. I was there in Canton, Ohio, for the Hall of Fame ceremony. And you look at something like this, and it's like, Mr. President, just stay off the Twitter. Don't pick fights that you cannot win. If you want to be aggressive, you want to go after the mainstream media, that's fine. Maybe you can win that sort of battle. If you want to go after some of your major political opponents, you can win that. But when somebody from the world of sports or somebody with a stature like LeBron James decides that you know they want to engage, just let it go. It won't be a second-day story. It won't be a third-day story. It won't be a fourth-day story. When we come back in three minutes, I want to talk about a bailout for Kimberly Clark. Stick around. It's 120. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 123. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. The Brewers have the same number of wins against the National League West as they do against the National League Central, but they have a losing record in the Central Division. Why the big drop? Greg Matzik is live from the Wisconsin State Fair. He will drive the, dive into the numbers this evening at 6.07. Be sure to tune in. Okay. This, I think, is one of the more interesting stories, and it really raises this question of where do you go from here in Wisconsin? There is no question that the state of Wisconsin decided that we're going to make an investment in trying to bring Foxconn to Wisconsin. And there was really an unprecedented economic package that was put together to lure Foxconn. And the hope is, who knows if it's going to work out, but the hope is it will lead to 13,000 direct jobs it will turn southeastern Wisconsin into a technology hub. There will be other jobs that spring up as a result of all the businesses that will hopefully locate around Foxconn. That's at least the hope. Maybe it's going to work out. Maybe it's not. I think the early results are real positive. I was telling a story the other day. I was in, yes, I was in a bar the other night. I was talking to somebody who was actually from the northwest part of the state that was down here in southeastern Wisconsin together with a number of his colleagues because he, he's a construction worker. They, there wasn't work where they were in northwest Wisconsin. They were down here, and they're doing some of the work for Foxconn. Foxconn is already having an impact. You've got, again, people who are coming down here from other parts of the state who are doing the work. And that's all great. That That's all a wonderful sort of thing that's going on. I think Foxconn can be transformative. Maybe I'll be proven wrong in five or ten years, 15 years. Who knows? But right now, I think it can be transformative. But I acknowledge that there was a huge outlay of public funds that are going to be used to bring Foxconn. And as Governor Walker said when he was on the program the other day, the truth is it's not all money that's up front. Foxconn gets money along the way. They get the incentives based on their ability to produce. So if two years from now Foxconn hasn't produced as promised, they're not going to get anywhere near the level of the incentives. But it's true. There are incentives to bring Foxconn here. Which brings us to Kimberly Clark. Kimberly Clark is a worldwide concern. 
And right now, there are struggles going on, you know, with the, the paper industry in general. It's an industry. I don't want to say it's a dying industry. That's probably not fair. But it is a challenged industry. Well, last January, Kimberly-Clark officials announced that they plan to close facilities all across the world. And two of the facilities they addressed were ones in Nina and Fox Crossing, and those which is the Fox River Valley. And that could result in the loss of as many as six hundred paper jobs, jobs in the paper industry. Now, nobody wants to see plants close, and nobody wants to see workers lose their jobs. But the question becomes, you know, what happens? So what Kimberly Clark did first, they said, well, tell you what, if we can get an incentive package, if we can get, oh, the taxpayers to give us $100 million, and we can get the union to make some concessions, maybe we can keep some of these jobs in Wisconsin. So they were able to strike a deal with the union. They still haven't made it public, but I think they backed off on asking the union to make as many concessions as they ended up doing. But now they're back and they're saying, okay, here's the deal. You know, if you want us to stay... We want Foxconn-like payoffs. We want, you know, $100 million in credits to keep this plant open and therefore to preserve these 600 jobs. The Assembly, a number of months ago, passed a bill that would allow this. Right now, it's it's blocked in the state Senate. Um, there are almost no Democrat votes for this because... Scott Walker supports it, and the Democrats don't want to do anything to help Scott Walker. That means you have to have pretty much all the Republicans who end up voting for it. And right now, you have several Republicans who are expressing concern about this, and they're saying, okay, well, wait a second. Foxconn was bringing new jobs to the area. That's fine. This is preserving jobs. How much, how do we handle this moving forward? Anytime you have a manufacturing company that's been here for years and years and says we're going to close a plant and we're going to get rid of some jobs unless you give us money, are you then in a position where essentially the state is held hostage? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't want to see them lose jobs. I, I don't. But if I was in the state Senate, I would be voting no on this proposal. And the reason I would be voting no is I think there's a difference. I I don't think government should be picking winners and losers. Well, you're being a hypocrite because you support Foxconn. Foxconn is transformative. Foxconn is incentives to bring a new industry to the state as opposed to, all right, you've got old industries that are in the state, as opposed to trying to prop them up. If you do it for Kimberly-Clark and 600 jobs, you pretty much have to do it for any business in the state, and I just don't think we have the dough to do it. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Kim in Oshkosh. Kim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing this afternoon? Good. What do you think? Well, you know, I echo exactly what you just said. Uh, living in Oshkosh, um, you know, I can see where there's a lot of jobs that are available, okay? Foxconn has come in and said, yes, we're going to put a lot of money into this, into the present prairie or wherever uh, that is down there. Right. You know, and they're going to invest money, yes. They are getting some tax advantages. You also have a Green Bay packaging, not a Green Bay that I believe is going to build. I think it's a $300 million facility up here, $30 million facility. They're putting money in. Yes, they're going to get some tax advantages. But I agree with you. It's not a company holding anybody hostage. Everybody up there is looking for jobs anyway. I work for a company that is just struggling to find employees. 
And I know for for another example, there's a, a company up here called Nina Foundry, which at one time was on pins and needles. They're clamoring for help. Uh, we got right. a new seat out of Green Bay, and they're always looking for help up there. And it's just amazing yeah, look, how much they advertise. But, but, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think government should be very, very circumspect when it comes to doling out large cash incentives to try to keep existing businesses here because there's really no end point of it. Do I want to see Kimberly Clark shut a plant? I, I don't. But at the same time, you know, you're, you're dealing with a struggling paper industry. I don't know that there's any guarantee that they're going to keep the plant open to begin with. Foxconn to me is different because Foxconn, you're bringing new jobs in and creating a new industry potentially for southeastern Wisconsin. And if you take a look at the Fox Valley area, there's been a transformative deal with, within the paper industry. They have not learned how to reinvent themselves. There's another company up there that, you know, j- just about went out and is coming back again. I mean, the Fox Valley, it, you know, it used to be a paper magnet. It's not so much anymore. And they haven't figured out how to reinvent themselves. They really have not. So, and I agree with you. Do you want to, I, I've got a relative that works for KC. I'd hate to see her lose her job. But yeah, by the same token, there's plenty of other work out in, out in this area, let alone the, uh, the country right now. I hate to say it, let's not spend the government dollars. Thanks for the call, Kim. I appreciate it. Okay, we're going to pick it up right there. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a this is a very, very difficult issue. Like I say, the governor supports the money to Kimberly Clark. No Democrats in the state legislature support it, or almost no Democrats. There might be one or two from the Fox River Valley area. Um, and a lot of conservative Republicans are saying, okay, I don't know that this is the way to go. Right now, there's not enough support to pass this package in the state Senate. Honestly, if I was in the state Senate, I would vote no. It's 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. Okay, what we're talking about right now is whether or not the state legislature should approve a $100 million bailout for Kimberly Clark. Kimberly Clark, of course, a paper company, they're a paper manufacturer with plants all over the world. They're saying we're going to close some plants, including we're looking to close a plant in the Fox River Valley. If, if state of Wisconsin, you decide to come up and give us a whole boatload of money, $100 million in incentives, we might keep the plant open. Arkansas has a Kimberly-Clark plant. Actually, the guy from Arkansas, people from Arkansas are saying, you know, we, we can't match this. I mean, what Kimberly-Clark is asking for is just unprecedented. Well, it's not actually unprecedented. This is along the lines of what the state is doing for Foxconn. I think Foxconn is different, though, and I would hate to see Kimberly-Clark close. I'd hate to see 600 jobs go away, but I don't think the state can bail out or give in every time a company decides, hey, you know, we want... We want money or we're going to close a plant. 414-799-1620. David in Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my Hi, call. Hi, David. I, sure. I would uh, definitely would vote no on this. I'll tell you why. Um, you, you brought up with Foxconn, yes, it is transformational. But the other times that we've had companies you know, stay in the state, it's usually for expansion. And we yes. give credits for that. But in this case, they were planning on closing the plant down anyway, and it was obviously unprofitable. So why should we as taxpayers be giving money to uh, a plant that was considered inefficient, uh, that was not even worthy to stay open? Uh, and, you know, it's one thing if they were to say, hey, we really like to stay here, and then we'll, we're going to make it you know, much bigger. Right, right. You, you make a great point. It- 
Right, you make a great point. Exactly. You know, if you give us, you know, if you can give us some incentives, we are looking to grow. And what we're going to do is we're looking to expand and we're willing to make a commitment that we're going to be here for the next 20 years and we're ready to, you know, triple the size of the plant. Then you're right. Then you have a, a different sort of dynamic. But that's not what's going on here. You have a struggling industry. You have unproductive older factories. At some point in time, you know, you hate to see the jobs go, but you just can't say, all right, we're, we're going to try to give you all this money to maybe maintain the status quo. Yeah, yeah. You, at this point, just got to cut the cord. And, but, you know, and like you said, there's plenty of jobs out there. There's a lot of people looking for skilled labor. They'll have no problem finding, uh, especially up in the Fox Valley, the, the places all over there are all shortage of workers. They'll all be picked up fairly quickly, I'm sure. Well, you would hope. Uh, yeah, th- no, thanks for the call. Well, and again, I, I don't like to s- look. And first of all, Kimberly Clark is not going to be leaving the area. But you do, you can't have government held hostage every time you have a company, especially one that's, you know, facing all sorts of economic turmoil, decides, all right, we've got all these different facilities across the world because our worldwide production is down, so here we're going to just go around and we're going to threaten to close everything and we're going to keep open the ones where we can get the biggest government payout. I mean, you you just can't do that. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Rick in Milwaukee. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, Hi, Rick. You know, I, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not for or against this. All I know is it's going to affect more than 600 jobs, Jeff. It's going to affect jobs in northern Wisconsin where they're cutting the trees down, and the trucking that gets these trees to these locations, and any other vendors that uh, uh, that uh, help out Kimberly Clark. You know, and I'd like to make one other point. This isn't the first. This isn't the first time. If you recall, when uh, Trump took office, down in Ohio, they went to Carrier, and uh, he tried to get them to not move to Mexico. But right. so what kind of deal did he do for them? And it wasn't a total win because they think they still lost 400 jobs over that. Yeah. Exactly. I I mean, I remember that, too. There was all the big stuff. Hey, we've saved all these different jobs. And then six months later, people were saying, well, it didn't exactly work out that way because a lot of the jobs went. No, but but I guess that's I guess that's my point, though, um, that when you when you start doing this. And you're, especially when you're throwing around taxpayer dollars, you end up being held hostage by these various companies. And Kimberly Clark's yep. a good company. I'm, I'm not suggesting that they're a bad guy. Oh, yeah. And I understand yeah. why they're doing it. They're, they're, they're doing it because they're trying to get the best deal they possibly can. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Having said that, though, I, I just don't think if, if we're going to bail out Kimberly Clark, does that mean then that any time we have a business that threatens to move with more than 200 jobs or 500 jobs or whatever that, that we then have to go in and give them a Foxconn style bailout and if that's the case well I, I think you know pretty much every business is going to be saying that pretty soon that's true okay no thanks for the call I, no, I appreciate it no, and again I, I, I look I, I don't want to turn my back on these jobs I, I understand that but the, the truth is I, I think there have to be some standards and I really do see a difference between spending money to attract a new industry spending money to help a company expand 
and simply spending money to try to keep a company that is already getting ready to you know constrict itself in size just to keep them here. Bob in Menominee Falls. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Bob. Bob, Bob, Bob. Okay, tell you what, let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 142. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Have a text. Somebody says, is Fiserv still getting $12.5 million from the state? How is Kimberly Clark different than the Bucks blackmail? Well, all right. First of all, two things. First of all, I don't know if Fiserv, I don't know if Fiserv is still going to be getting the $12.5 million from the state. Um, there's consternation because they get some money from the state and then the state turns around and then Fiserv turns around and uses it to spend on naming rights. I don't have an issue with that. If they qualify for the money, they get to spend the dough, I think, however they want. Now, as far as blackmail by the bucks, I, I, that to me, I mean, I understand you've got $250 million in taxpayer money mixed in with $250 million in money from the Bucks to build the new downtown arena. I think that's more along the lines and more akin to Foxconn than it is to Kimberly Clark because here, here's the reality. You have, and the key to whether or not the Bucks deal for the new arena is going to work out. The key to me is how that new arena district around that takes off. Is this going to be an area which is, again, transformative for that part of the city of Milwaukee, or is it just going to be cannibalizing what you already have on 3rd Street or something like that? That's the whole idea. If it ends up creating new jobs, if it ends up creating development, if it ends up being somewhat of a renaissance for that area, then it turns out, in my mind, it, it's worth it. And, and we won't know that for five or ten years, but at least the, the money that was used to help underwrite the expansion and the building of the new downtown arena, that's done with an idea of bringing something new in, which is going to create new jobs. It is along the lines of Miller Park. And I understand there's some people, particularly some of you who still live in Racine, who, you know, have, have never liked the idea that, you know, you have to pay your part of that five-county sales tax, and you've never thought that was fair, and you've never liked it. I understand all that. I get all that. But, again, I think if you look back and you try to be objective, Miller Park has been a win for the community. It's been a win for the region, and it's been a win for the state. And that, in and of itself, I think is something. Thing, well, that's 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 worthwhile. All right, let us switch gears. I am intrigued. Now, I, I've said earlier in the show that one of the things that I think is a real character flaw when it comes to the president of the United States is how thin-skinned he is. And I guess I was a little bit surprised. Maybe I shouldn't have been because when he was elected, you know, I guess. You are what you are by the time you you turn seventy years old, and you're not going to change. But I, I did. I always thought. That given the fact that he had won, that he had, you know, he'd, he'd become essentially the leader of the free world, I thought maybe that he would end up, you know, backing out. I th- thought that he would be, you know, he'd be willing to let stuff go. He'd be willing to get past certain things. That's what I always kind of thought. And, you know, since he got elected, that hasn't been the case. And he ends up picking fights with people that he probably shouldn't pick fights with and obsessing and what I call, what it's called punching down. You know, people who, you know, who cares what so-and-so says about you, just let it go. But he doesn't necessarily have this ability to let it go. So I, I've, I've always thought that that is a weakness. At the same time, one of the president's favorite punching bags is the mainstream media. And you can define mainstream media however you want. And if President Trump is thin-skinned, 
I think you can also make the same argument against about members of the mainstream media collectively. And I, you know, individually, I, I guess you, you could point to this reporter or that commentator or whatever and say, oh, they're not thin skinned. But collectively, I, I think the mainstream media, reporters in general, they don't like to be challenged. They don't like to be called some of the names that Trump calls them. And I understand that. But at the same time, you know, if you're in the media and you're in the job and your profession is you're dishing it out, you're writing these exposés, you're offering these commentaries, if you're dishing it, dishing it out, you have to perhaps be willing to to take it. And collectively, I think the media does a lousy job of that. Which brings me to this story. There is a museum in Washington, D.C. And by the way, if you ever get a chance to go to Washington, D.C., my advice is do it. I mean, just just do it. If you ever get a chance, there's so many great things that are going on in D.C. You've got the Smithsonian's, you've got the National Gallery, you've got all the memorials and the monuments. Um, there's a lot to do. There is a private museum in D.C. called the Newseum. Now, the Newseum is dedicated to the news media. And it, it's the history of the print media. It's the history of the electronic media. The Newseum has been struggling since it was open, in part because it, it's private, and so they have to charge. And some of the issue, charge to get in, and some of the issue becomes, well, if you're, why charge? I mean, if you can go to see the, this Air and Space Museum, and that's free, or you can go to see the Museum of American History or Science or whatever, and it's free, it's tough to get people to pay to see a museum. So the museum has been struggling for a, a while now. But one of the things they end up doing is that they, they charge, and one of the ways they try to make money is they, they sell souvenirs. And a, a lot of the souvenirs are based on current events because it is, you know, dedicated to the media. For example, when President Obama was president, they, they sold a lot of ty- Obama-type merchandise, and they used the merchandise sales to help underwrite the cost of operating the museum. So in the gift shop at the museum, what they had, at least up until well, a couple days ago, was they had T-shirts. And the T-shirts read, you are very fake news. All right? You are very fake news. Or they would say fake news. All right? Which is, of course, the ongoing thing. You've got, you know, President Trump who says, this is fake news, and the people chant fake news, and CNN goes ballistic when they say all that. So this is the the ongoing debate that's going on. So anyhow, they're selling these T-shirts that say, you are very fake news, or fake news. Well, what happens is a couple reporters happen to be going through this, and they see the fact that this particular museum, the museum, is selling in the gift shop stuff that says fake news. And they just freak out. Okay, here here's the you know, here here's the what are these optics? You know, we are dedicated to the whole concept of the media. And here you have these people that are saying fake news. Well that's terrible. You know, you have to pull this. And after pressure is brought this museum, the Newseum, decides that they are going to pull these off, that, you know, we are not going to sell the fake news T-shirts. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this political correctness run amok? Look, I, I don't go down, I don't think the news media is the enemy of the people, what I've always said about fake news is that if places like CNN or the Washington Post or the New York Times wants to stop people from screaming fake news at them, the easiest thing is to stop running fake news. But 
but that's that's an aside. All right, these T-shirts, are they in bad taste? Are they inappropriate? Is this something that, well, if you wear a fake news T-shirt, you know, you should be appalled because you're not upholding the traditions of the First Amendment or whatever, or... Is this just kind of a clever thing? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't think I'd buy one myself, but I don't have a problem if somebody wants to walk around with a T-shirt that says fake news. And if if you're at a museum that celebrates the media and celebrates current events, I don't think there's anything wrong with selling this particular T-shirt there. I mean, it's just, and if you don't want it, don't buy it. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this is an example, again, of how thin-skinned people get. And in this case, it's people in the mainstream media. Should we not be selling these fake news T-shirts? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 154. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. How time flies. Journal Sentinel has an interesting piece at JS Online. It has been 10 years since the Brett Favre era ended. Um, the the trade of Brett Favre from the Packers to the New York Jets. Remember, they traded in New York. He went there, played for the Jets for a year, and then left the Jets and went and played for the Vikings for two years. That trade was 10 years ago today. How how interesting is that? And of course, you know we all remember all the consternation that went on. You, you had the the Brett retired, and then he didn't retire, and he wanted to play, and were the Packers forcing him out? And I mean, I think the truth of this was that it, the Packers had just decided that that they were ready to give give Aaron Rodgers his chance. And I think in retrospect, it, it ended up working out. Um, but it was kind of bitter. But I think, you know, all is forgiven. I was in Canton, Ohio a couple of days ago for the Jerry Kramer admission and uh, to the Hall of Fame. And that was great. And I was in Canton, Ohio a couple of years ago when Brett Favre went in. So, I mean, I think they've mended fences. But if, if you want to, for some people, I'm sure it seems like it was just yesterday. But remember everything that went on in that Brett Favre deal 10 years ago. 10 years ago today, Brett Favre traded to the New York Jets. A lot of water under the bridge between now, between then and now. Ten years ago. Wow. Time just, time just kind of flows. All right. Speaking of time, there was a point in time where this issue, I, I don't think would have ever come up, and it certainly, it would have been, I think, disastrous for candidates to run on this premise. But now things things have changed. There's no question that we have issues with, with health care. How do you provide health care to people? And most importantly, how do you pay for health care? And how do you balance the needs of, for example, the medical facilities, I mean, where you have it seems to me like every medical group you look at is building a new hospital. They're spending tons of money in, in this effort to try to, I don't know, have the newest, best toys and be as close to the, as they can to models. So you have all two different you know, groups. And so what happens is you have all these hospitals that are going up all over. They all end up costing money. They contribute to the cost of health care. You have issues with people who are in the health care system who are saying, all right, 
I've got a pre-existing condition. I, I'm I'm 52 years old. I'm diabetic, and you know I, I need to have I need to take my metformin or whatever. I get my insurance through my job, but what happens if I, I lose my job? And I'm 54 years old. I'm 11 years away from Medicare, and you know how am I going to pay for this? Because I need these prescription drugs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then you've got younger people who think that they're invincible, and younger people who decide I don't need this insurance. Nothing's going to happen to me. And that's great until all of a sudden you get this kind of catastrophic diagnosis. On top of that, you know, nobody wants to pay premiums. That, that's just the reality. We, we don't want to pay premiums to insurance companies. And we don't like to see those premiums go up and up and up. So everybody wants something for nothing. And we've always been trying to balance out all these different interests. There you saw you know, Obamacare that came in, the Affordable Care Act came in in, what, 2010. And, and we've seen some success stories, but a lot of problems with that, including the fact that a lot of insurers or a lot of health providers have just said we can't make money on this so you know we're we're going to bail on this which has reduced the amount of choice that people have the vast majority of people in this country still get their insurance through their private employer the second largest group are people who get their insurance through through the government with Medicare. And then there is a much, 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 much smaller group that's in that, that private market. They either don't get insurance through their employer or they don't get insurance through Medicare. But that's a relatively small number compared to everything else. And yet we're still trying to wrestle with the ways to provide health coverage for everybody and health care for everybody. Ten years ago, If you wanted to talk about socialized medicine, it would be a complete and total non-starter. It it just, it would have been. But now you have more and more candidates, including mainstream candidates, who are saying, you know what, we should essentially blow up the healthcare system, and we should go to a program essentially of, of Medicare for all, which means you don't have private insurers, you don't have to worry about you know things like that. What you have is the government essentially operates as the, the insurance company. The government decides what reimbursement rates are going to be, and everybody ends up getting covered. Now, the cost for doing something like that would be astronomical. They, they estimate they estimate that you know in you're probably looking at somewhere between two to three and a half trillion dollars a year. Two and a half to three trillion dollars a year to try to go to a Medicare for all system. That means that you would probably, if you try to do the math, you would probably have to, well, increase federal spending by such a level that you would probably have to double, double people's taxes. So figure out what you're paying in federal taxes now and double it. And in some cases, maybe even more so than that. So you're talking about tremendous costs. Now, the flip side, though, is if you have that Medicare for all, the socialized medicine, essentially, you're, you're not going to get then other bills. 
you, you might have co-pays or things like that, but you know, you're not going to have your employer having to provide your health insurance. So theoretically, maybe your employer would be able to give you more money because they're spending money on your health insurance now. At the same time, your employer's taxes are going to probably be doubled as well in order to pay for this. This is one of the reasons why some of the states, including California, who've looked at the idea of, of Medicaid, Medicare, Medicare for all, you know, socialized medicine, wherever you want to call it. They've, they've looked at the cost and they've said, this sounds like a good idea on paper. Sounds like a good idea in theory. Everybody gets everything they want. But the reality is it doesn't make dollars and cents because the cost would be so prohibitive to so many people, including the fact that the vast majority of people now are relatively satisfied with their insurance. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think about Medicare for All? Knowing that there is an enormous cost to this, again, probably a doubling of taxes, and then there's other problems as well, but an enormous expense. Do you want to trade in whatever insurance plan you have now for that? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Greg in Greenfield. Greg, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Uh, Very well, thank you, sir. This is a subject dear to my heart because I've been in the healthcare business, underwriting actuarial. I build models for 30 years. And what most people don't understand is that if we went to a total socialized medicine program like Medicare, everything would have to change. There would be rationing. There would be listing. And here's why. The biggest problem we have right now in terms of private sector expense is the leverage that the government creates for us because the government in Medicaid pays 18 to 25 cents on the dollar and in Medicare pays 30 to 40 cents on the dollar and hospitals need about 42 to 45 cents on the dollar just to break even. So every time a hospital takes an inpatient that pays through Medicaid and Medicare, the first problem is they're not they're not making any money. Why do you think they want to close St. Joe's? Because it's down where all the Medicaid and Medicare people are. Secondly, right. and this is a big problem, if you look at what's happened in terms of benefit architecture and insurance carriers and what they've had to do over the last decade, the plans and the architecture of those plans has changed. Medicaid and Medicare have never, ever changed their architecture, so the administrative systems are practically dysfunctional, and you have to hire separate administrators in order just to administrate those programs, and the fraud and the bureaucracy is another cost that's loaded into those. So they're constantly running into deficit situations. So these people who think we're going to go to Medicare for all, my question back to them is, okay, uh, how many hospitals do you want to put into bankruptcy? How do you like the right. rationalization of care? And on top of that, how would you like to pay 40% more taxes? What, right, exactly. You know, so a lot more money, a lot less options, and rational ra- ration care. Yeah, it's the thanks to call. I appreciate it. See, th- these are the kind of the real-world issues. It's one of the things that says that you know, people say, oh, this would be great. Wouldn't it be wonderful? I mean, everybody's going to be covered. But then you have this real world. See, this is what has been frustrating to me for the last 10 years about the healthcare debate. I understand that there's issues. There's issues, as we were talking about, with pre-existing illness and things of the like. I, I get it. You-, you shouldn't be in a situation where you've been covered by insurance most of your life. You suddenly lose your job. 
job, and then you can't get affordable insurance. But but the truth of the matter is that's a small, 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 small segment of the population that finds itself in that situation. The vast majority of people, I believe, are are satisfied to the extent you can be satisfied with your health insurance. Nobody likes paying the premiums. Nobody likes paying the copays. But in general, I think you know most people say, well, we've got a decent level of coverage, etc., etc., etc. Rather than blowing up the entire system, what we should do and what we should have done is figure out a way to deal with those people who are kind of on the fringes, the people who are in the cracks. Now, in Wisconsin, I think we kind of had the answer where you had like the Badger Care and you had some of the high-risk pools, which provided decent levels of coverage for the people who might otherwise be uninsurable. That, I think, was the answer. I'd like to see something like that rolled out as opposed to let's just blow up the system and let's have the government control it. 414-799-1620. This is a rallying cry, though, in the election this year. Medicare for all. Let's move to this giant system. If it's good enough for somebody at 70, why isn't it good enough for somebody at 30? Well, okay, there's a difference. There's a difference, and if you expect the people that administer Medicare when you're 70 to make it work for everybody, I think they're going to be in for a rude awakening. We continue the conversation in just a moment. 219 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're broadcasting live Wisconsin State Fair. It's 222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is one of the pitfalls of broadcasting live from the State Fair. You get this little commercial break. You go out to try to talk to people and stuff, and everybody's, Jeff, the music's starting. Jeff, you got to get back. 414-799-1620. Um, all right. One of the issues that's going to play out seriously in this year's elections is the idea that it's it's like single payer, it's socialized medicine, it's Medicare for all. The argument being, well, if it's good enough for our seniors, we should do it for everyone. Let's just blow up the whole private health care system and let's do that. And my response is, well, no. My response is that's going to add costs. Everybody agrees that over a 10-year period, if you do that, it's going to cost about $32 trillion. That means your taxes, your employer's taxes, are probably going to double. I think you're going to get worse care. To me, it's a step in the wrong direction. 414-799-1620. Steve in Manitowoc. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Um, Hi, Steve. I've been, a, I've been a physician for 37 years. As part of my training, I worked in a segment of health care, which is basically a mini national health care, and that's the VA system. And working in right. VA hospitals in several cities during the course of my training, um, I realized how incredibly inefficient the whole system there was. The last place I worked, we were working in a department that was staffed by well, somewhere from 15 to 20 physicians. And when I subsequently went into private practice, I realized that three or four of my private practice partners could have done the, the entire workload of all those other people. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that the federal government has ever been efficient at. There's certainly not going to be any more efficient for health care than anything else. Well, right, and especially if you talk about the, the expanding it. I mean, it's one thing to be dealing with the, the population of people who are 65 and older. It's another thing if you now suddenly say, okay, we're going to do this for everybody from cradle to grave. How, how as a practical matter, is that going to work? No, it, it would be a debacle. Yeah. Thanks for call, Steve. I appreciate it. Now, interestingly, I mean, our first two callers have been a doctor who's worked in the VA system and you know, somebody who's been in the healthcare industry for decades who are just saying, look, as a practical matter, this doesn't work. 
uh, that makes sense to me. But I mean, I look. I understand there is this. There's this general appeal. Oh well, you know, it, it's cradle to grave. Everything is going to be taken care of. Now I have a text that correctly points out. You know, Jeff. People forget that Medicare pays eighty percent of approved procedures. You still need to purchase supplemental insurance. I'm sixty-eight. I pay you know over three thousand dollars a year for supplemental insurance. No dental or vision coverage. That's extra. Yeah, I mean, so that's the question. This, this idea is how much is it ultimately going to cost? And like I say, California, of all places, wanted to do this. And, and even their, their governor, Moonbeam Jerry Brown, he looked at it and he said, i got to back off on this. I, I know people don't understand what the cost of this is going to be. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I, I think it, Hi, Mike. It's very, I, I think it's very simple if you break it down. Uh, I, I think if people would just take a look, you could go just take a look at a pie chart of the federal budget right now. And if you look at the demographics of the people that are turning 65 over the next 20 to 30 years, it is over Medicaid. Medicare is overwhelmed right now. And yes. we are going to be able to afford the people that are turning 65. Bernie Sanders and, and his ilk live in a dream world. It is impossible. We can't afford it. It's broke already. Right, right, and this is not the way to to fix it. And then, where are you going to get the doctors from? You know, where where is this dynamic going to come from? If all of a sudden you start artificially limiting their compensation, all these are different. You know, issues that are out there, and and nobody has really thought them through. But it sounds great on a bumper sticker, you know. You know, healthcare for all. You know, let's treat it, and but it doesn't work in the real world. It does not. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the call. No, and and that's the world we live in. Hey, thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate it. Look, you're, we're, we're going to talk about this more over time because this issue is is not going to go away. Like I say, I firmly believe in the state of Wisconsin, health care was so much better before we had the Affordable Care Act, and I'll tell you why. Again, like I say, most people get their insurance and still do through their employers. And most people are satisfied with that. You'd always like more and you'd like it to cost less. But most people are basically satisfied. In Wisconsin, you had the high-risk pools, which still managed to make people who were otherwise uninsurable, you had it provided like that safety net and I think some affordable sort of care. I would argue and I think you know people who were a part of Badger Care or whatever, they, most people would say they were so much better off before Obamacare as far as choices and things like that. If we're looking to try to figure out how to reform health care, I continue to believe let's go use the model that we had in Wisconsin 10 years ago and I think if you expand that nationwide, you'd be better off. It's 227. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 2.34, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Greg Matzik, who's going to be participating, of course, in Wisconsin Afternoon News and then later on with Sports Central, um, out at the broadcast booth. It, you've been doing this for a number of years as well, haven't you? I, my first day, my first day ever working at WTMJ was producing the greenhouse, oh. and my first day was here. And that was working alongside the producer that was leaving that appeared eager to leave. <laughs> and I remember uh, uh, somebody came in and told the producer as I was training that Jonathan Green's car was going to get towed because it was illegally parked. So I was the one who had to go find Jonathan's Green Bonneville and move it to a spot where it would not be towed. <laughs> Day one. Yeah, all, all, those, all those different memories that kind of come back. I mean, matter of fact, when I started here 20 years ago, I, I started in the summer um, – 
part-time filling in for Sykes, who was taking time off to write his book. And because Charlie wasn't as thrilled with the State Fair as I was, he, 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 de- he timed his sabbatical to time with the start of the State Fair. So I think I had done two shows at WTMJ, and then I'm out at the State Fair. Um, and it's been, I, I, this is the 20th year that I've been out here, and it's just very, very cool. 2001 was the first year. Now, that was when all the, all the, the black and white heads that. were on the wall behind us. Now we've got a beautiful banner. but Right. I was going to say, people would come out, and they would stand there, and, and everybody would see. We used to have the pictures of everybody that worked at the station, and people would point, and they'd say, oh, that's what Sherry Preston looks like, or that's what you know Dan Shelley looks like, or, or whatever. Now now it's just you and me. Yeah, I don't know where those pictures lie anymore. They're, they're somewhere in a deep, dark cabin inside the walls of our station. I was getting some static in, in the back there, because the, the late Gordon Hinckley, who was just a great friend of the station, a great friend of all of us, he, he was the greatest trowel hound in the world, and he would come out to State Fair and overtly solicit food. So you would walk into this building, and you'd go into the back. There, there's an area just in the back, and and it would, I mean, there, there would just be tons of, of, none of it was good for you, but there would be tons of State Fair food that would be there that people had brought it over to give it to Gordon. <laughs> Pretty amazing stuff, and uh, I, I did notice some stuff from our cranberry folks down the road, right. so I uh, had a nice sample of a cookie, but, but, but you're right. But, but somebody pointed out, said, well, you're nowhere, nowhere near as good at soliciting food from Gordon, like Gordon was. Well, Gordon was a legend, didn't know his own. So, I mean, no, you'll, you'll never be it, but it's it is a lot of fun, and it, it's a tradition. It's something I know those of us who, who work here at WTMJ and appreciate the tradition of the Heritage Radio Station. We just love the opportunity to come out, and uh, if you are coming out to the State Fair, be sure to stop by the broadcast booth and, and see us. Um, like I say, I'm here Monday through, well, I'm here every weekday except Thursday because it's an early Brewers game, but um, love to be here. Th- this you know, this was predictable, and I, I want to use this kind of as a launching point to what I'm going to talk about in just a minute. But the, the whole business of entertainment has changed dramatically. In my industry, the radio industry, well, you know, people, the, the, the different choices that people have as to how you can listen to things. I mean, it always used to be you'd have to listen to, for example, my show on an AM radio. You know, and maybe the AM radio was in the car, maybe it was in your kitchen, but, but that's how you listen to it. And if you were in a downtown office building and you got crummy reception because it was AM radio, well, okay, then it was tough to listen. Well, that, that, that whole dynamic has changed. So now how do people listen to radio? Well, yeah, Yes, you can listen to it through the conventional means, you know, the radio that's in your kitchen. You can listen to it uh, again in your car. But there's also, there's the live streaming. There's all that stuff. So now, you know, you can pull us up on the Internet, and you can be sitting in that big concrete or metal office building downtown, and you can hear it. We have listeners from all over the world, lots of times people who've, you know, moved from Milwaukee but still want to, you know, keep in touch with southeastern Wisconsin or Wisconsin who listen. You can do that. I, I know one of the things that's so very, very cool, and I see these numbers, is we, we now podcast. So, it, you know, it's not just, gee, I want to go listen to Jeff's show from noon to three. It's I can go to WTMJ.com. I can subscribe to the podcast, and every time there's a new one that's up there, I, I can listen to it. So if I... I'm working during the day or I can't listen to the show. Well, that's, that's no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it when I'm on the treadmill at night or something like that. So you can subscribe to podcasts. And there's going to be more and more ways, I think, you know, in the future as to how you listen. It's the way the dynamic has changed. Now, if you are a regular listener of this program, by their subscription to the podcast or otherwise, you know that I, I'm just kind of a student of pop culture and I'm fascinated by how some of this stuff works. For example, movies. Now, how do you get people? who now 
can sit in their homes, in their man caves, in their she sheds, and you know, watch pretty much anything they want. How do you get them out? How do you get them to go to, to movie theaters? And one of the things, this idea that people came up with a couple of years ago, was this thing called called Movie Pass. And the way it worked was that Movie Pass said that you could you could pay ten dollars a month for this pass. And what you could do is you could go to as many movies as you wanted based on this $10 pass. And I remember when this idea was out there, I I mean, I I hated to be a skeptic, but I was saying, this just doesn't make any sense to me. I just don't see how people can make money doing this. And in in the world of, although I hate to say I told you so, I told you so, that's the story. The movie pass is just absolutely cratering because they couldn't afford to make money, you know, selling unlimited access to movies and theaters for $10 a month. And so MoviePass is now, their, their stock is down, I want to say it's down to like $0.08 cents a share or something like that. They've now said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You know, we're, we're going to... We're going to reduce the number of movies you can see from unlimited number of movies that now you can only see three per month. You know, okay, well, all right, all right, that's a completely different change, a complete different change in the framework. And, and ultimately, I mean, it was an experiment to try to get people to movie theaters, but but it failed. Which is my lead into what I want to talk to you about next. And it's kind of a, a, a touch of nostalgia. If you walk around the grounds of the Wisconsin Fair, State Fair, you see. I mean, all sorts of stuff. For those of us who've been coming out to the fair, one of the things we love is we love the traditions. We love the fact that this building's been there for 35 years or, or whatever. Or you love the fact that, gee, I can go get this particular item of fair food because I've always loved it. All those different types of things. We love the traditions. One of the traditions of the summer that I used to love when I was growing up as a young man in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in Glendale, Wisconsin, I used to love the fact that on any given Friday or Saturday night, I could get a bunch of my uh, you know miscreant buddies together. We could pile into somebody's car, and we could go out to one of the area drive-in theaters. And for... I don't know, however many, however much bucks for the carload of people, we could all pile in there and we could kill four, five, six hours watching a triple, you know, three different movies on a large screen, you know, outside and enjoy the Wisconsin summer. I used to love drive-in theaters. Now, drive-ins, you still have them. There's one in Jefferson. I think there's one in Door County. There's, there's maybe a handful in the state of Wisconsin, and there's maybe a relative handful across the country. Um, as people have stopped going out to theaters as much, the the number of drive-ins has disappeared. As the land values have gone up, a lot of people have figured, you know, you, you can make more money. Why have a drive-in theater when we can sell this and we can put it in a shopping center or we can sell it condo? We can put it in condos, so that'll work. In addition, the way they distribute movies now, they've gone to digital, and so for a lot of the existing drive-in movies, they've had to upgrade, and it's cost a fortune to do it. So more and more and more have just absolutely gone under. But I want to open up the phone lines. Just one segment. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I miss the drive-ins. And I understand, I understand that, you know, maybe they're just gone for good. But I have to believe that if drive-ins were to come back, I think that there would be a huge market for them. 
414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's take a, a walk down memory lane. And believe me, I understand drive-ins aren't completely extinct. But I think there is a market in today's day and age for drive-in movies, the drive-in theaters. I, I mean, I used to go with my buddies, but I can remember even before that, I can remember as a kid, my mom and dad would, pack, this is before my brother was born, would pack me up and, and we'd go out to a drive-in theater. It was a great way to see some family entertainment at a reasonable price. Do you miss the drive-ins, and would you like to see them come back? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's have a little bit of fun on a Tuesday afternoon. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Back with your calls in just a moment. It's 244. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There are still drive-in movies in almost every state. There are a couple left in the state of Wisconsin. But, you know, this is more than just nostalgia. I think... I think people love them, and I think there's a market for them. Mark in Muskego. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you, sir? I am well, thank you, sir. Is there a market for these? Do you, do you like the drive-ins? Do you miss the drive-ins? Oh, it's so fun. Every time we go to Door County in the summertime, we uh, pack the family up. My kids are started going when they were four or five years old, and now they're in their late 20s, early 30s, and we still pack the truck up. Have a cooler full of beer, some snacks and chips, and wait for the infamous mosquito to die from the pick thing, you know, the, the big commercial. I mean, that yeah. commercial's got to be 1,000 years old. So it's a hoot. Yeah, I, it's just an absolute hoot. Well, it is. So you make a point. Where, where is the one? I have not been to the one in Door County. Where Where is that in Door County? It's between Ephraim and okay. uh, Fish Creek, right across okay. the Peninsula State Park. But it's, it's oh okay. Host, I mean, big park. Oh, front. Kids will go with their blankets and sit on the on this big uh, park bench, if you will, and wrap up in blankets. I mean, it's it's a hoot. It's just fun. Oh, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jeff in Pewaukee. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, thanks for taking my call. This is so strange yes, because sir. I was just talking about this the other day with a friend, and I thought I'm going to call your station and recommend that this could be played. But absolutely, oh. <laughs> because when you start talking about it with someone that's experienced it, you start remembering that there was this little hill that you drove up on so your car would be on an angle, right? Facing <laughs> the right. screen. And then when you went to go to the bathroom, it was sometimes a challenge to find out where you were parked because everyone, you know, you're <laughs> looking at cars and you got to be kind of quiet. But, yeah, the gentleman before right. was bringing a, bringing a case of beer and sitting out there and you brought your favorite lawn chair. Uh, it was just, yeah, that, that would be great. That would be well, and I, I mean, see, and I think, and a part of the thing is, I, I think there is still a market for that. Now, again, I, I, I understand the economics of it. Maybe these locations are, hey, it's much. Let's turn this into a strip mall. But I mean, if if my choice is, you know, a strip mall with another drugstore or something, or a nice drive-in movie, I'm going for the drive-in movie. Absolutely, but they'd have to do something about that speaker that hung in the window. Sometimes you got a bad one, <laughs> and you had to move. Right. Remember, oh, you turned the volume on it. Crackled, you're like, okay, that's why no one's parked here. We got to go. But remember, they had right the now. swings in the front and the entertainment oh, for sure. the kids, and you go up there oh, for yeah. a while. And oh, absolutely, just, no. Just, I yeah. thanks for calling. I still remember. I mean, I still my, my some of my buddy, my high school buddies and I, we get together and we still we still remember some of the some of like the B grade movies that we saw at, at the drive-in movies because there was always like three of them, you know, and and you know they got worse as the as the as the night wore on, but okay, you didn't care as much by then, but yeah, I remember I had two friends. 
who had convertibles, and that was that was the best thing in the world back then too. It's have friends that have convertibles because you don't have to worry about them in the winter and stuff. But we would go there and we would just have an absolute blast. Joe and Slinger, Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how are you? Hi, Joe. What do you think? Um, so, yeah, I absolutely love the idea of having them back. Uh, I was very young when they stopped becoming any kind of mainstream, but I still remember my last double feature was. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and then Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. And I still vividly remember those movies, even though I was, I was maybe six or seven years old at the time. But just because of that experience, they, they ironed in my, in my head. And my wife is uh, eight years younger than me, so she really has no memory of it. But when I talk about them, even she talks about how it sounds like something that would be an absolute blast to do. So I think there's absolutely a way to, to revive that market. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. I mean, again, I, I just think that there's a, a market that's out there for this kind of stuff. And again, I, one of the things in the last couple of years that really hurt the drive-ins, like I say, was the, the movie business, it, it changed all this digital stuff. So, uh, you, you had to spend, a lot of operators had to spend a ton of money to, you know, switch over to this, this new way of showing the, the, the movies, and that was an extremely expensive thing. And and I, I understand maybe maybe for a place in Wisconsin, it's a labor of love. You know that's why you only have a handful. And you know Door County, maybe it makes sense in Door County where you've got you know during, you keep it open during the summer. But at the same time, it, it's it is something special. And so I guess my my comment would be if you've if you don't know what this thing is that we are speaking of, these drive-in theaters, I, I really encourage you to, to check it out because it's a different way. It's a throwback to an older time, but it's it's a lot of fun. And I think for people that are my age or you know my generation or maybe the generation one preceding, it, it, it brings back memories. And maybe for younger generations, people say, hey, this is kind of cool. This is Maybe it's corny, but it's fun. Cindy in Wind Lake. Cindy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, hi. It is so interesting that this topic is brought up right now because two two days ago I emailed Marcus Corporations stating the same thing. Really? I did. With the new technology, (laughs) and just think about Bluetooth speakers at a drive-in. Oh, yeah. uh, They got back to me and said that they don't have any immediate plans, but they appreciate my feedback. So maybe we should start a drive for others to uh, send some feedback to Marcus Corp. Yeah, because I mean, if they, I mean, well, you you look at, I mean, they're clearly the the theater industry is 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 facing all sorts of challenges. Again, getting people out of their houses, and that's why you have all the money that they're putting into upgrading theaters. And now you go to see the movie, and you're sitting in essentially the recliner and stuff like that. You know, maybe sometimes simpler is better. And maybe if you if you've got some unused land that's out there, maybe that drive-in movie is the way to go. Because I, I mean, I I drive out of my way to go to see a drive-in movie. I, I, I just would. Not every night, but I think it might be something to do every other weekend or something. I think it would be fun. I think we should All right. We should encourage it. All right. Thanks. Well, Steve Marcus, you know, we wake up here. I, I like it. Thanks for the call. One more call. Lynn in Mequon. Lynn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, in addition to, of course, what everyone else has said, but the nostalgia and the experience is unforgettable and all that. You know, we we have I have kids now, and they are just so many different crowds and germs and things like that. And I actually think I we like camping and being outdoors because then we're not stuck in a crowded place. And um, mm-hmm. I know we would take our kids to a driving movie so fast, 
because not mm-hmm. only would it be fun and everything, but then you're not stuck in a crampy place and you hear someone cough and think, oh, I hope my kid doesn't get that one now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah. Plus, I mean, it's great. It's great family entertainment. I mean, and it's. I mean, they were. That was one of the appeals too. It was comparatively cheap. You know, it was kind of like, okay, you bring your car in. You know, they don't. They don't have as much overhead as you do if you're running the main theater. You know, bring a carload of, kid, of people in, and we'll charge you twenty bucks for the carload or whatever that would be. And and then you're all set, and you've got a night of entertainment, and the kids go off and play. I. I miss them. <laughs> I just do. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Lynn. I and, and I hope. Okay, so if, if people are motivated, this is the thing. You email Marcus and say, oh, we we think you know if if you've got some unused land sitting around in Washington County or Ozaki County or wherever, you know, maybe maybe you can pick this up, Waukesha County. Maybe this would be a good spot. How expensive could it be? You know, given the fact that you've got this, how expensive would it be to start one of these drive-ins and just see how it goes? And again, I understand they've got one in Door County. They've got one in Jefferson, but I think there is a market. Nostalgia sells, and this would be fun. All right, it is 255. Speaking about fun, we're going to hear what John Mercure and Melissa Barkley have on their minds on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Greg Matzik is doing sports. He's out with me at the State Fair. We're back in just a minute. It's 255. This is Jeff Wagner.